Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we worship you this morning because you are at work in our midst. It's a busy Sunday. July the 1st, it's almost exactly splitting the year in half. Six months have finished and six months before us. It's a really good time, Father, for us to refocus, recalibrate our lives and return to you. young man in our church that loves the Lord, serving his country in the United States Air Force, being sent out for deployment. Father, that matters to all of us. We all are thankful for him. We appreciate him. We will have his back. We will think of him. We will pray for him. Father, a group of people now in our church desiring to go on a short-term mission trip that we might have a better grasp of what you're doing in the world, that you may use us, and that our church may bless their church there. Father, these are big, heavy things in life that matter to us, and yet, Father, we don't understand life. Things don't matter to us until we know you. So, Father, we look to your word again today. We ask your blessing. Father, we ask your blessing on our time now, as we look to Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. If you would, turn back in the Bible to Hosea. Hosea chapter 4. It's where we've been now for a couple of weeks. We're going to go through the Minor Prophets, and I, I told you all that we will be in the Minor Prophets for a while, but there are 12 Minor Prophets, and with the minor prophets being the way they are, once you start studying them, you'll see the differences uh, or, or you'll see the similarities and you'll see kind of what they're like. We're not going to do like we have typically done and do verse by verse through all of them. So with that said, we're going to finish Hosea today. So if you thought we were here for a long time last Sunday, <laughs> we're going to try to cover 12 chapters today, Okay. We're going to finish Hosea today, and we're going to move right along. If you look, the next minor prophet is Joel, and we will be in Joel next Sunday. These minor prophets have been good. started off with a bang because Hosea is the minor prophet's name, and God calls him to marry a prostitute, and that is crazy. Some people think we don't even talk about that type of stuff in church, but we absolutely do. God does, and we do too. We have no other answer or solution in life than to look at what God talks about. There is no other God and no other foundation in life at all whatsoever than what God talks about. God's God's word, God's words are the answer to life, the pathway to life. They are life. And so we look to them every time we're together. Hosea is this prophet that God is speaking to him and saying, go tell my people this. The problem with the people during this time is they are unfaithful. And God wants to tell them, you are unfaithful, and because you are unfaithful, you need to return to me. Yet, because of our sinfulness and our hard hearts, We are unable to turn to God on our own. We need the love and mercy and grace of God to draw us to him. In Hosea, he says that, but he also wants to give them a visual picture of this. 
So not only is God's man saying, hey, y'all have been unfaithful, you need to turn back. But that man that's telling them that has also gone and married a prostitute. And his prostitute wife does what prostitutes do. And she sells herself and goes after other lovers. She is unfaithful. And so everybody's looking at this one who's saying, hey, you're telling us we're unfaithful. They're looking at him to see what he's going to do with his unfaithful wife. You know what he does? He loves her. And he keeps loving her. And the Bible's telling us this is what God is like to us. God loves us and loves us and loves us. And in loving us, he does a work in our hearts to bring us to himself. God saves and brings people back to himself. That's what Hosea is about. So what it's doing is it's in, it, with, a, with a picture of marriage, it's talking to us about our spirituality. It's not so much a lesson on marriage as it is a lesson on God. Have you ever seen a man treat a woman right? It's funny that I would even ask that. Have you ever seen that? I wonder if the young people of our day have ever seen that from those before us or before them. Have you ever seen a man treat a woman with respect and honor? Have you ever seen a husband treat his wife like he just loves her so much? Like she truly is the most important person in the world to him. Have you ever seen that? Last night we had a really, really good night. And the kids were having a good time and the girls were about to go to bed and I was kissing them and I was just saying, how old are you? Okay, you're three, that means you need three kisses. How old are you? Five, okay, that means you need five kisses. And I, I did that to the girls and Carolina said, yeah, but what about the most beautiful one? You gonna give her her kisses? I said, if she'll let me, I sure will. You know, I often need my little girls to remind me to help treat my wife right. And they do. They surely do. It's remarkable when you see a man treating a woman the right way, a husband treating his wife the right way. And I can remember when I've seen that done really well. It impressed upon my life. When I was 24 years old, I'd been living in Fairdale for about a year, or in Louisville, working in Fairdale for about a year. Called by God, bachelor's degree in Bible and theology, studying at the seminary to get my master's degree. Uh, loved God, loved the opportunity to serve God, and wanted God to use me. At night, I would wait tables at Bonefish Grill on Hurstbourne Parkway while I was in school, and I really loved that. Just had a great time doing that. It was a great way to pay bills with few hours. And one day, somebody came up to me and said, hey, Bob Russell's in here eating. I didn't know who Bob Russell was at the time, but many of you all do. He was the pastor of Southeast Christian Church when the church was really a small church not too long ago and blew up into this gigantic church as we know it today, some 30,000 people every Sunday up off of Blankenbaker um, <clears throat> in the East End. Bob Russell was the pastor that God used in all of that <clears throat> somebody came to me and said, Bob Russell's in here eating. And I said, wow, I, I, maybe I should go meet him. 
All I knew was that I wanted to do ministry, and he had done a lot of ministry. So I went over to meet him, introduced myself at the table. I just said, hey, I'm a young, I'm a young minister, and pleasure to meet you. He didn't ask me where I was from first. He didn't say, well, let me give you three points of advice first. The first thing he did was, Josh, thanks for coming to speak to us. I want you to meet my wife. He made sure she came into the the forefront, told me her name, clearly made it all about her, made sure that I had interacted with her, made sure I knew her, made sure that she had met me. It was awesome. Later, he wrote me a note. I don't remember what it said. Later, he sent me a book in the mail. I never read it. But I have never forgotten that a man who has been incredibly used by God mightily in Louisville, Kentucky, when I met him, he prioritized his wife. I've never forgotten that. It's wonderful when you see that. It's a powerful, sweet story. And it makes me want to treat ladies that way, my daughters that way, any female that way. And I hope, men, that that makes you want to treat your lady that way as well. Hosea is about this sort of thing, loving a woman. Except in this story, the woman is very unfaithful. But it's a sermon that he is preaching to the people of God. His wife is unfaithful, but he loves her still. And God is wanting to teach us that that's who we are and that's what we're like, and yet still he loves us. The book of Hosea is intended to show us just how great the love of God is. It is pretty common for you to hear somebody say, yeah, but you don't know how bad I've been pretty common to hear somebody say, yeah, but you don't, you don't know what I'm like, or you don't know how much I've messed up, or you don't know all that I've done. I'll actually hear people say, man, if I walk in here, is the building going to fall down on me? We either think we are too bad, or worse, we don't think God's love is enough. We don't understand God's love, or we don't think God's love is strong enough or powerful enough. And I'm here today to tell you all, this first day of July, this very center of 2018, that according to the book of Hosea, you can stop thinking about how bad you are if it's causing you to downplay how loving God is. God loves you, and his work is a redeeming, powerful, unstoppable love. You're going to see this here. Well, what happens in the book of Hosea, as you've seen the past couple weeks, is chapter 1 introduces the characters. You have Hosea, this wife, uh, uh, Gomer, that is the prostitute. They have children. She has children. Then he uses chapter 2 to apply it to Israel, to the people. Then at the end of chapter 2, you have the hope of how God is going to redeem. Then in chapter 3... You have just a few verses, a really small section, only five verses where he gets back away from the analogy and he comes back to talking about Hosea and Gomer with his wife, the physical, actual story that's happening. But from there, from chapter 4 on to the end, the rest of the book is just prophecy. 
You don't hear anything else about Hosea. You don't hear anything else about Gomer. And really, honestly, in the whole Bible, there's nothing else. So you're already a master of what Hosea and Gomer were like and what they were like. That's all it is. The rest of the book is just the prophecy of what God is telling his people. And the message is this. You've been unfaithful, yet I redeem unfaithful people. But it's not going to be by getting you to change. It's going to be by me changing you. It's not going to get you just to start loving me back. It's going to be by me loving you in such a way that your heart will be changed and you'll be drawn to me and then you will love me. It's a redeeming love that God's going to do. So what I want to do here today and the rest of our time is to show you, number one, that we are unfaithful. People are unfaithful to God. You may have never been unfaithful to your spouse. This is about God. We have all been unfaithful to God. Number one, we've been unfaithful. Number two, God's love is stronger than our unfaithfulness. Or his faithfulness is stronger than our unfaithfulness. God's love is stronger than our unfaithfulness. And then number three, we will end here today, and I hope that you will hear this, so you must turn to the Lord. You must turn to the Lord. You must get up and turn about and head his way. You must set your eyes off of what they're on and set your eyes on him and go that direction. This is the call of God when one begins to understand their unfaithfulness. And this is the call of God when one begins to understand his great faithfulness. Turn to God. Since I ran out of time last week, I want to recall to you chapter 3. Let's start there. Remember, it goes back now to Hosea and Gomer. And Hosea says that the Lord said to him, I'm at chapter 3, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another woman and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So God says to Hosea, after he had married her and after she had gone back out into unfaithfulness and prostitution, go, keep loving her. That's what he tells him to do. We can hardly imagine how difficult and painful and ugly and embarrassing and humiliating and shameful all of this would be. Yet, this is not about Hosea and Gomer. This is about God to you and I. This is about God to Israel. So he says to go ahead and do that. Verse 2, look what verse 2 says. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethek of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Guys, we're talking about a lady here that nobody wanted. We're talking about a lady here that had been around a block a time or two. We're talking about a lady here that was not desirable. I want to show you. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. Because of her adultery and prostitution and unfaithfulness, God is saying here, she will go back away from Hosea, leave Hosea, and she will run back to her lovers. Look at verse 7. So she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but she will not find them. 
Folks, this is the nature of sexual immorality. What we think is love and what we think is happiness and what we think is good for us is really not. And you don't need me to teach you that. We all have experienced that in some shape or another of somebody being used and let down and forgotten and ignored and left hurting. It is as common as common can be. It's the biggest issue in our world today. People hurt after what they thought was love is not love. But what has happened here to Gomer, his wife, is that now she has found herself, left Hosea, and now she's back for sale and nobody wants her. Even the people that she thought loved, even the people she'd already been with, even those that she used to run with or hang with or sell herself to, don't want her anymore. And she stands there shameful and guilty and embarrassed and all of that. And one would think, listen to me carefully, especially those who preach morality and they think they go to church to just be better people, but that's not our message. And especially those who think that if you just make good decisions, then you'll clean your life up and everything will be okay. Folks, that is not our message. Our message is that you need Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, and without that, you'll never get cleaned up. One would think with that message of morality, just do good, one would think with that message that one could stand up here and preach, who would want her? Nobody would want her. Nobody wants this lady that's been used and abused, and everybody's seen her, everybody's been with her. That's not our message, by the way, but you can see how so many people that don't get the gospel preach that message. Because you know in the book of Hosea, in chapter 3, in the word of God, you know who wants her? Who wants her? Her husband wants her. Amen. Let me say that again. Who wants this unfaithful wife? Who wants her? Her husband wants her. Does everybody see that? Kids, listen to me. Her husband wants her. He loves her. He wants her. He loves her. You know what God is saying? Not a lesson on marriage so much as a message on God. He wants her. He loves her. Show me somebody run down, give out, upside down, backwards, all over the place, and do not dare tell them God doesn't want them. He does. He does. This is our message no matter how broken down, used, abused, deep, dark, whatever they are or we are or you are, no matter what, guess what? God wants you. And he is proving it here. God says, Hosea, go back out there to the, to the market where she's up for sale again and take her back and buy her back. He even makes the promise to her, you be faithful to me and I will be to you. It's beautiful. That's our God. That's the love. And so there we have it. And now God wants to teach us from his love these three points. So, number one, we have been unfaithful. I just want to show you a few places. Look at chapter 4. Verse 5, chapter 4, verse 5. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night. And I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. Look at this. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Look at this, verse 7. The more they increased. Now remember, this is what God is saying to the people. Verse 7. The more they increased, 
the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. Look at verse 10. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply. Look at this. Because they have forsaken the Lord. He goes on and on and on. Verse 12. At the very end of verse 12, they have left their God to play the whore. He's describing to them what they're like from his perspective. Look over to chapter 5, verse 4. Their deeds do not permit them to return to God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. Listen, I know that it is pretty common for people who are living extremely unfaithful to keep claiming God, but God says here, you don't know me. They don't know me. This is why, this, how I know this is because they are so extremely unfaithful to me. They want to love and worship other things, so they don't know me. Verse 5, the pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord. But look at this. But they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord. Faithlessly with the Lord. They've not cared to worship him. Turn over to chapter 7. I'm just trying to give you a glimpse, an overview. It's actually in every chapter, but I just want to show you chapter 7. <coughs> Chapter 7, verse 10, the pride of Israel testifies to his face, yet they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him. They do not return to him. They do not seek him. And if you want to, I have read through Hosea now several times the past couple of weeks, all the way through. This is what God is saying. This is why the minor prophets are special, because They're very simple, they're very narrow, they're very straightforward, they're not complex, there's not a lot going on there. Basically, Hosea is telling his people that you've been unfaithful to God, but God's going to love you. And then you have that little real-life picture of him marrying a prostitute, Gomer, to emphasize the point even more. They have been unfaithful. Folks, you're not going to go to church and become a better person if you will not admit your unfaithfulness. If you will not acknowledge your sins before God, we too have been unfaithful. May God help us and may God have mercy on us. Yet, in our unfaithfulness, what God wants us to know, this is why we must read his word, the Bible is about God, it's not so much about us. It talks about us, but it's about God. It's not what we can do to get right with God, it's what God has done to make us right with him, and there is a huge difference. So the emphasis in the word of God is on God. The emphasis in the word of God is not on you, it's on God. God's love is what will make you right with God, not your love making you right with God. Your love you'll bring alongside your unfaithfulness and you'll never get faithful. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Your love for God, you will bring alongside your unfaithfulness and it will never make you faithful. (coughs) God's love will deal with your unfaithfulness. He will get you to see that you have wronged him. He will convince you that he still loves you. He will show you that his son Jesus died on the cross because of your unfaithfulness. That he became your unfaithfulness for you and that in your unfaithfulness he still loves you. He doesn't want you to run and hide. He wants you to run to him and be forgiven. This is what God is like. And he does love us in this way. You remember last week, now turn back to chapter 2. We're going to look now at my second point. His love is stronger than our unfaithfulness. His love is more faithful than our unfaithfulness. 
In chapter 2, he has just gone in on them and totally, totally called them out, been honest with them. If you look at chapter 2, verse 13, this is what we hit hard last week. And I will punish her for the feast of the days of the bells when she burned burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry. And look at this. Went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. That's the unfaithfulness. And so one starts saying, okay, well, what's God going to do about this? In verse 14, he says, Behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness. I will speak tenderly to her. There I will give her her vineyards. Make the valley of Achor a a door of hope. That valley of Achor I preached last week is this this trouble. They're in trouble. Their unfaithfulness has them in trouble. Things things aren't good. There there is a problem. God is angry with them. They've disobeyed him. They've rebelled from him. They've forgotten him. They've turned to other lovers. They are in that trouble. God is ready to punish them. And yet God says, I will turn that trouble into a door of hope. She will answer. If you look down to verse 20 of chapter 2, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. God is going to pour out his love in such a way that your unfaithful self will know the faithfulness of God. One of the favorite hymns that we sing here, I believe it's hymn 54 in the hymnal, is Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's a very simple hymn. It only has three verses to it, but it's a classic to the church. Saints forever have sung this song because it just says the great truth that we find all of our hope and comfort in is that it's not based off my faithfulness, but it is based off of God's faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, God. (coughs) God is faithful to us. And he is faithful to take these unfaithful people and do a work in their heart, this new covenant work, and draw them to himself. Pour out his love on them to where they will say, God loves me. Not, I love God and I'm so lovable and I'm so good. That's not it. It is, God loves me. And when you come to believe and feel and understand that God truly loves you, and loves you in such a way that he has forgiven you of your sins, then you will say, oh, how I love him back. We do proclaim that we love God. We do declare that we love God. But our love for God is not the basis of our relationship with him. It is God's love for us in sending Jesus to die for us where our sins are forgiven. And when we are certain that God is faithful and God will keep us and God has sent Jesus to die for us, then we know his faithfulness does not fail. His faithfulness will keep us. It is a rock-solid anchor truth to the soul that we can believe and trust. And in doing that, oh, we love him back. We love him back. At the end of chapter 2, he describes a day. He says, in that day I will answer, this is verse 21 of chapter 2, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. God is talking about the unfaithful children who they named unfaithful names. No mercy, not my people. He gave them that name to demonstrate how unfaithful they were. They're unfaithful. Appreciate it. 
He gave them that name to demonstrate how unfaithful all of this is, how unfaithful the people of Israel are. He gave them that name. And right when you think he's about to crush and punish them, he comes back with, I'm going to change their name. I'm going to be merciful to no mercy. I'm going to be people to not my people. I'm going to make them say, you are my God. Y'all, God's love is stronger. His faithfulness is stronger than our unfaithfulness. You have to know that. These religions, these churches, these ministries, these optimistics who think we just got to find the good in us and, and, and ride that are in a cycle of coming back to that's not working. Because at the end of the day, All of the good in us doesn't answer the sins we've done. All of the faithfulness that we've done doesn't answer the unfaithfulness that we've had. Ten good deeds doesn't remove one bad deed. I don't know what the scale's like when you go weighing your good versus the bad. I want to suggest don't ever try to get in that conversation with God. Don't, Don't make a bargain with God that you've been good enough. Surely you see the foolishness in a holy and righteous creator God. But we don't remove our unfaithfulness. Only God can do that. Only God can remove our unfaithfulness by sending his son Jesus, the holy and righteous faithful one, to die for us. And if you will see that and believe that, God will welcome you back to himself because of how great the Savior is. So what do we do? This is loaded in Hosea. We're unfaithful. God is faithful. What do we do? My final point here today. You turn back to the Lord. This is the message of the church in any age. This is the message from when John the Baptist came preaching. This is the message from when the prophets were before that. This is the message that, Lord Jesus, that the Lord Jesus Christ preached himself until the Lord Jesus comes back and ends the earth and sets up heaven. This is the true message of the church of God that knows Jesus. It's not do better. It is turn to God. It is surrender. It is repent. It is submit. It is to go to God and say, have mercy on me. It is God help me. God save me. God, I am coming to you. Let me show you this now from the book of Hosea. Turn to chapter 6. After God has been overwhelmingly showing their unfaithfulness in big, strong terms, he uses that word that they have been a whore to him. He uses a real-life picture of Hosea and Gomer. He has clearly demonstrated how unfaithful they have been. Here is now the message. Chapter 6, verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. Do you see that hopeful message? This is the message of Christianity. 
In the midst of Hosea's message, and all God tells Hosea to go tell my people this, and he is laying into them how unfaithful and wrong and sinful they've been, which is a part of God's message to a sinful, disobedient, rebellious world. In that message, he says, now return back to him. It didn't run and hide and never deal with it. It didn't run and hide and call it something that it's not. It is turned back to him. For the one who calls you guilty is the one who has dealt with your guilt. For the one who calls you unfaithful has dealt with your unfaithfulness, with his faithfulness. The one who calls you not lovable loves you and makes you lovable. He knows, return to the Lord. He will heal us. He will bind us up. He will revive us. He will raise us up. Let us press on to know him. God loves the unfaithful. And it is the message of Hosea to be the message of the whole Bible. If you're unfaithful, perfect. You are a fitting candidate to be welcomed into the great love of God. Return to him. Return to him. Turn around. Get up. Stop what you're doing and go to him. Turn over to chapter... Stay there, sorry. Chapter 6. Look over to verse 6. You've got to see this. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Does everybody see that? That is what Austin read in the middle of the service from Matthew chapter 9. Jesus finds himself hanging out with sinners. The Bible uses that word. The Bi- Jesus is hanging out in the house eating dinner with sinners. There probably was some rough drinks. There probably was some foul language. There probably was some crudeness going on. Jesus is at that table eating with them and the religious judgmental Pharisees of the day are saying, why is he with them? Jesus says, he quotes Hosea. In Matthew 9, he quotes Hosea 6, 6, and he says, I desire love, not sacrifice, knowledge of me, not offerings. And then he says this to them, y'all go figure out what that means, because you don't understand. And then he says this, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I didn't come for the faithful. I came for the unfaithful. I didn't come for the good. I came for the bad. Here's what Hosea is saying. God wants us to love him. Not do things for him. As a way of making ourselves right with God. God wants us to know him. Not do things for him as a way of making ourselves right with God. There aren't enough offerings you and I can do. There aren't enough sacrifices that you and I can do. Often here at church, somebody will come from the community or whatever, and they'll need help. And when we get into a conversation and we want to try to help them, they will start trying to to vow how much they're going to start doing for God. Hey, I'm going to start coming to church. Man, I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to try to start helping with the poor. Do y'all do anything like that, feeding the homeless? I'm going to start helping with that. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start trying to volunteer here. And they want to start doing something because they think in their mindset that that will make them right with God, that God will pile that on the side of the scale that will earn them a way to heaven. That's not true. God says here, 
I desire love. I just want you to love me. Because as we know, what we love, we will live for. What we love, we will live for. It's so frustrating. And I think all of us are frustrated. All of us have been frustrated. And all of us know people who are frustrated. It is so frustrating to be living for something and keep trying to convince yourself that you love what you're not living for. Oh, that hurts. That's frustrating. God wants us to love him. So when you think, okay, God... I did it again. I I said I was never going to do it again, but I did it again. I said I was never going to do this, and I did it again. I've messed up again. I've I've ruined it again. God, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, God, I'm never going to do it again. As God is my witness, God, please, I swear, I'll never do that again. And we've all been there, right? He doesn't want you to make that vow. He doesn't want you to make that ridiculous vow that you're never going to do it again. You're probably going to do it again. I hope you don't do it again. Let's get in community. Let's lock arms. Let's be accountable to each other. Let's support each other. I hope you don't do it again, but you're probably going to do it again, especially if it's getting angry and yelling at people in your house, which happens all the time. God doesn't want you to vow to him you're never going to do it again. God wants you to believe deep down in your soul that he loves you. And that his son died for all of your sins. And that you can return back to him and say, God, I, I did it again. I just told you last week that I'll never do it again. I told you I'm so faithful to you, God, and I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to raise my voice. I'm never going to fight. I'm never going to steal. I'm never going to cuss at them that way. I'm never going to do this or that or this or that. And I did it again. And God wants you to know that his love is greater than your unfaithfulness. But you must return to him and say, God, I'm not saying I won't do it again. I'm saying I need your forgiveness again. I'm saying that your faithfulness is unbelievably good, and I need it. This is the message of Hosea. Turn to chapter 14, and we'll be done. This is the very end of the book. This is the final message. This is the last page of Hosea. It's the very end. He said a lot. Hosea is one of the longest minor prophets. Chapter 14. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Return to God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. And then, this is so awesome. He says, say this to God. Here's what you should say to God. Take away all Listen, folks, you need to turn to God and say, God, remove my sins. Forgive me of my sins. Take away my sins. You need to believe that God is able to. You need to believe that he loves you that much. You need to truly stop convincing yourself that you're so good and start turning to God and how good he is. Turn to the Lord. Return to him. This is the message of the Bible from beginning to the end, that God saves any who come to him. That God is so good that he will welcome in anybody who has been unfaithful. 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Holy Son of God died in our place so that anybody can come to him and be forgiven. Anybody that would return to him, he will receive them back. That is the message. That is what Christianity, true Christianity, is all about. That is what Jesus preaches. That's what Hosea the prophet preaches. And that, by the grace of God, is what First Baptist Church Fairdale preaches. That God's love is a redeeming love. And anybody that will return back to him and say, God, forgive me. God, I repent. God, I need you. God, help me. God, change me. Fix me. Cleanse me. Wash me clean. He will receive. God is such a good Savior. There's a good old hymn we sing called, I Stand Amazed in the Presence. You may know that one. I want to read the lyrics to you. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. For me it was in the garden that he prayed, not my will but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. He took my sins and my sorrows, he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary, and suffered and died alone. When with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see, t'will be my joy through the ages, listen, to sing of his love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. That's the true message of God Almighty. That's the message, the true message of the Bible. That Jesus Christ died to show us what faithfulness is. And any unfaithful can return to him and be accepted, be forgiven. But one must return to the Lord. If that's you today, and that's all of us today, let's return to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for the book of Hosea, for the consistent message of your great love. God, thank you that the Lord Jesus is a marvelous, wonderful Savior, and may we truly sing of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.